0: Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Obadiah verses 1 to 4 in part 2 of a sermon series called The Poison of Pride, with this message from October 27th titled The Folly of Self Sufficiency.
1: This morning, I would ask you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Obadiah, the book of Obadiah found in the Old Testament. It's a book that we don't often go to, and sometimes we have trouble finding it, but um, I encourage you to locate it in your Bible as just before the book of Jonah, just after the book of Amos and uh, 21 verses in that short book. David M. Levy writes, history is replete with small nations who strut across the world stage, proudly flex their political muscles, then vanish into obscurity. And Edom was such a nation. Her story is graphically detailed in the book of Obadiah, the shortest book that bears his name. And although Obadiah is an obscure book tucked away in the minor prophets and, and sometimes seldom read, It carries a very contemporary message, which you and I should read and which you and I should heed Edom, not unlike many nations and people today was proud. It was prejudiced. It was prosperous. And it was a persecutor of those living around her. As we studied last Sunday, the Edomites were relatives of Israel, tracing their descendants back to Esau, the twin brother of Jacob. The Edomites lived in a mountainous region called Seir, southeast of the Dead Sea and reaching to the Gulf of Aqaba. The capital of Edom was Selah, which is modern day Petra. Hostility arose between Edom when she refused to allow the Israelites passage through their land as they made their way from Egypt into the land of Canaan. Israel was instructed by God not to hate Edom because they were related. But the hostility between Edom and Israel lasted for centuries, especially with Saul and with David and with Joab and with Solomon. Edom's hatred for Israel reached its climax when they actually helped the Babylonians conquer Judah in 586 B.C. And because of that, God promised judgment would fall upon this nation, a promise that was fulfilled. In the sixth and fifth centuries, most of the Edomites were driven out of their land by foreign powers, and by 70 .AD, they, when they revolted against Rome, they were almost totally destroyed and eventually disappeared. Today, they are only remembered in history. But Edom remains one of the prime examples of the truth found in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. "Pride goes before destruction." And a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is a universal problem. It is a vice that you and I constantly wrestle with. And it reminds me of a story I recently read of an Army officer who was promoted to the rank of colonel. One day, shortly after moving into his new office, he heard a knock on his door and a voice that said, Colonel, this is Private Johnson. May I see you? The Colonel replied just a minute wanting to impress. He picked up the telephone and said in a real loud voice. Yes, Mr. President, I understand, Mr. President, we will take care of that right away. Mr. President, he wasn't talking to the president. He was only making it seem that he was. He wanted to appear more important than he really was. Then he said again in a loud voice, Mr. President, just give me one second. And then he called out, come in private. The private entered the room and the colonel said, hurry and say what you need to say. I have the president on the line. Well, said the private, I just came here to connect your telephone. (laughs) Pride does come before a fall. According to Obadiah, there were many symptoms revealing Edom's pride. And as you read through this short book, you discover a number of those symptoms of pride within this nation. First, they became self-sufficient, self-reliant. Secondly, they were indifferent to the plight of the Israelites. And because of their pride, that indifference was evident. They saw personal gain at the expense of the vulnerable. And finally, they acted unjustly toward others. As we continue in this sermon series of poison of pride, I would have us study more closely these symptoms of pride clearly expressed by the Edomites. But more importantly, I would have us consider whether these symptoms are evidenced within us, and if so, what we can do to root them out of our lives. And so, in light of that, let's give attention to that first symptom of pride an attitude, a display of self sufficiency. Self-reliance. This is how Obadiah describes this condition. Verses one to four. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord. And a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the Eagle, though your nest is set among the stars from there, I will bring you down declares the Lord. Edom had become a powerful and prosperous nation, believing she had control of her own destiny. And as a result, she had been lulled into a false security, believing herself to be indestructible because of her impregnable position in the mountainous region of Seir. Eden was very proud of her location. Obadiah said that she dwelt in the cleft of the rock. As I mentioned earlier, she lived in that mountainous region called Seir, southeast of the Dead Sea and reaching to the Gulf of Aqaba. The area was noted for its steep canyons, impregnable mountain strongholds, and well-protected caves. And some of the cities in Edom sat at 5,500 feet in elevation. The deep, terrifying gorges kept the enemy away. And because of this, they thought they could not fall. They thought that they could never be defeated. Perched on top of this natural fortress, she felt secure from her enemies, and as a result, developed that that superior attitude, that independent spirit. In defiance, she proudly asked, "Who can bring me down from to the ground?" In her mind, the answer was obvious: no one, no one would ever be able to bring her down. But it was not only her position that led to this attitude of superiority and self-sufficiency. It was also her wealth. Eden was situated on the crossroads of a major caravan route known as a king's highway. She charged exorbitant duty to those who passed by and she plundered caravans, which were vulnerable and unable to fight back. She also became wealthy from the mining of iron and copper. But there was another factor that led her to this attitude of superiority. She was proud of her wisdom. And her ability to develop peace agreements with larger nations, which she believed would continue her security. The Edomites were what you might call full of themselves, puffed up, inflated with self-importance. But isn't Edom an illustration of the world in which you and I live? And isn't it an illustration of the things that you and I wrestle with as well? We too are tempted to take pride in our position We want to be the top dog, the head of the class. We take pride in our wealth, believing that through our hard work, we have accumulated our assets. We take pride in our wisdom and ingenuity. And each of these lead to the attitude of self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Pride comes from believing that we don't need God. We think we can depend upon ourselves. We have our own strength. We have our own wealth. We have our own abilities. We don't need God. We're self-sufficient. I mean, after all, we have our vocations. After all, we're able to take our vacations. We have our homes. We have our cars. Our pantries are full of food. Who needs God? Who needs God? The sad thing is that pride is glorified in our culture to be independent and self-assured, even to the point of harming others is glorified. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, said, As a young man in college and later in business, I was full of self sufficiency. I believed that a man could do just about anything he wanted to do through his own effort if he was willing to pay the price of hard work and sacrifice. Charles Spurgeon once said, Self sufficiency is Satan's net, wherein he catches men like poor silly fish and does destroy them. Be not self sufficient. If self-sufficiency is Satan's net, as Charles Spurgeon suggests, how do we root it out of our lives? The cure for self-sufficiency is humility. After telling us that self-sufficiency is Satan's net, Spurgeon continued by saying, think yourselves nothing for you are nothing and live by God's help. The way to grow strong in Christ is to become weak in yourself. God pours no power into man's heart till man's power is all poured out. Live then daily a life of dependence on the grace of God. Do not set yourself up as if you want an independent gentleman. Do not start in your own concerns as if you could do all things yourself. But live always trusting in God. You have as much need to trust him now as ever you have. For mark this, although you would have been damned without Christ at first, you will be damned without Christ now unless he still keeps you. What I hear Spurgeon saying is humble yourself before God. Understand that you're completely dependent upon him in every situation and circumstance of life. Earlier, I quoted Bill Bright. After acknowledging his self-sufficiency, he went on to say, Then when I became a Christian, the Bible introduced me to a whole new understanding. I began to see that a man could really do nothing in his own efforts, but must depend on God for everything, especially living the Christian life. You and I have nothing to be proud of or to glory in for all we have comes from God. Paul wrote in first Corinthians chapter four, verse seven. What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul is saying, listen, everything that you have comes from the good hand of God. So why do you boast? Why do you act as if what you have Comes through your own efforts and through your own abilities. Humility, then, is a cure for self sufficiency. It's for this reason we're called throughout Scripture to clothe ourselves with humility, because as Peter reminds us, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. He goes on to say, It is the humble person that God will exalt. Unfortunately, we have embraced some myths when it comes to humility. There are those who falsely believe that the humble look down on themselves and their abilities. That the humble let everyone walk all over them. That the humble do not strive for excellence or that the humble do not need praise. These are all distorted definitions of this virtue. Lies that the enemy would have you and me believe. In the Greek text, the noun humble and the verb humbles and humbled are all from the, are from the same root word and refer to something that is low or something that is made low. Humble then carries the idea of stooping low and, and was used most often of a household servant, someone who would stoop over the cooking or the serving of meals or the washing of clothes. It had nothing to do with significance or weakness. But rather depicts someone who stoops low to serve other people. In the godly sense, humble refers to acknowledge and recognition that we are lower than God. And humility is expressed by a state of voluntary submission to his will. When the Bible talks about pride, it often uses language that seems more to do with altitude than with attitude. As an example, even this passage that we read from the book of Obadiah, God through Obadiah said, you have exalted yourself. You have, you think that you are, are perched on a lofty nest. Again, that whole idea of altitude. The Bible uses words like high and lofty and raised and exalted and lifted up and puffed up and haughty. Rather than stooping low, the proud of heart the self-sufficient, the self-reliant has a deep longing to be elevated and lifted up. Pride is acting whether we openly deny him or merely ignore him as though we have no need of God. It's merely an inflated ego. It's an inflated soul as well. It is arrogance against God. We live in a culture that puts a very low value on the virtue of humility no one ever receives a merit badge for humility. Rather, awards and recognition are given to those who achieve, to those who accomplish, to those who finish first. From the moment we enter the world, we're urged to get ahead, to climb the ladder, to look out for number one, to win through intimidation, to prove our success by the car we drive, the home we buy, the clothes we wear, the friends we keep. But such... Acts lead to self-sufficiency and self-reliance. Listen to what Paul calls us to do in Philippians chapter two, verses one to 11, using Jesus as the ultimate example of humility. He writes, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, Although humility is not highly valued in our society, it is essential in the Christian life. And the one who set the pattern for it is Jesus himself. Therefore, as his followers, we too should seek to have a humble spirit. Humility is lowliness of mind that does not seek to exalt or assert self. And from Paul's words in Philippians 2, we learn that humility is characterized by several traits. Humility is other focused. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, Christ was looking out for our interests when he became to earth to rescue us from sin and condemnation. It was our condition and our need which motivated him to leave the splendor of heaven to live among man. In order to develop true humility, we need to take the focus off of ourselves entirely. Because true humility means we stop connecting every experience and every conversation with ourselves. To put it another way, Tim Keller says that the essence of humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. Humility also doesn't grasp rights and privileges. Let's go back to what Paul said concerning Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant. Being born in likeness of man. Although Jesus was fully God. He emptied himself and he took on the limitations of humanity. He set aside his right to exercise his divine nature. He had every right to exert his power, his authority, to command respect, to demand obedience from men, but he didn't operate that way. And Paul also tells us that humility willingly serves others. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in likeness of man. Jesus didn't come as a self-serving ruler who wanted to conquer and subjugate the world. Instead, he came as a lowly slave serving others. And humility obeys God. Again, going back to Paul's words and being found in human form, what did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The son came to earth in full obedience to the father. He did and said only what his father commanded him to do and say. Including his ultimate act of obedience. Laying down his life on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. These qualities are the exact opposite of the ambition. Self-promotion, self-advancement, self-sufficiency of our culture. From the world's perspective, humility is weakness. But which takes more strength to deny self or to promote self humility requires a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to overcome our natural self-centeredness. Instead of being a sign of weakness, it's actually a sign of Christ's life in us to break our self-sufficiency is to fix our eyes on God and bask in his beauty and his splendor. So in light of what has been said this morning. If you desire to develop a spirit, an attitude of humility, if I want that to grow in my life, what are we to do? Let me encourage you to do a couple of things. First of all, do a spiritual inventory of your heart. Seek to determine if a spirit of self-sufficiency has taken root. The psalmist prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me And lead me in the way everlasting. What would God reveal to us. If we honestly and sincerely prayed this prayer. What would come to surface. What would his spotlight focus on. I think sometimes you and I are afraid to pray such a prayer. Because we're not quite sure. What God is going to bring to light. And we're not quite sure if we want to deal with god what god will bring to light An important step to do a spiritual inventory of our heart second build a pattern of humility in your life that sounds good but what do you how do you do it let me suggest a couple of things first of all follow the example of jesus he willingly took the form of a servant remember what he did before his crucifixion he exemplified humility by washing the feet of his disciples You're going to find yourself in situations. I'm going to find myself in situations where I am going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted to step back and let somebody else do it. But that's not the way of Christ. In those situations, we need to step in and take on the role of a servant. I would also encourage you to associate with those who demonstrate a spirit of humility. Do you know someone who... who, that this grace is so alive in their life. It is demonstrated in so many different ways. Align yourself with that person. Attach yourself to that person. Let them become a mentor to you. Discover what they do. Which builds that, add, that virtue into their life. Fight against the culture of narcissism. Be in tune with the reality that we live in a society that promotes self-love. Self-affection. A society that tells us that we're to take care of ourselves. And to make sure our desires and our needs are fulfilled. That's the kind of culture we live. And each and every day you and I are bombarded with that message. Love yourself. Take care of yourself. Please yourself. We need to take every thought captive. And the way we do that. Is to determine whether or not the truths that we're bombarded with. every, Or the, the messages we're bombarded with every day are from God. Or from the world. And then serve the poor and the powerless. Jesus' humility led him to become the friend of tax collectors and sinners. As well as prostitutes, thieves, and other outcasts. The glance and the stance of Jesus was always towards the poor and the powerless. He practiced what we might call downward mobility. He gravitated toward those who desperately needed him. And so in light of Jesus' example, we need to ask ourselves, who do I associate with? Who do I gravitate toward? And I think there is a danger for you and me to gravitate toward the people who are just like us. Who are just like us. But Jesus' example... Reminds us that our glance and our stance. Needs to be toward the poor and the powerless. As we return to our text this morning. Obadiah plainly and clearly tells us. That self-sufficiency is a symptom of pride. Something that God abhors. It was so evident in the nation of Edom. A nation that thought that they would never be defeated based upon their location, based upon their wealth, based upon their wisdom. And yet, as history has proven, God pronounced judgment upon them. And that judgment came to fruition. The nation is no longer here today. We need to take heed. Do not let self-sufficiency take root in our in our life. And if it does, Let us remove it immediately. Let us remember that pride comes before a fall. Father God. We thank you for the word of Obadiah. Although written many, many, many years ago. So relevant for us today. For we know that pride. is something that we wrestle with. Even as believers. And it manifests itself in so many different ways. And so I pray that we would humble ourselves under your mighty hand. Father, that we would stoop low before you. That we would submit to your purposes. That we would follow the example of Jesus himself. And that this self-reliance, which so easily can take root in us, would be removed from us. So that the life of Christ is revealed his grace and his glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, Go to anchor.fm slash temple baptist church or search on your favorite podcast app.